This is a test of the emergency podcast system. Activated by contract termination. Rumors of our demise are greatly exaggerated. Welcome to Stacy on the Right with your host, Stacy Washington. She's blessed to be a Bible reading, gun toting, Air Force veteran, wife, and mom. Righteously American. Hey there. Welcome. Welcome to Stacy on the Right. So excited to be with you today, and we have a lot going on. I mean, it's America in the age of Trump. So, yeah, we got a lot going on. Um, we also are going to be, you know, sharing a bit. I know if you've been going on and listening to listen.stacyontheright.com, you've been listening to the podcast, you've noticed some changes there. It has been a really great run so far, and we're just picking up more and more um, audience, which is is fantastic. The podcast numbers are up, and I'm excited about that. We have really grown a ton um, in, in numbers-wise from the first month. So, you know, we're into the second full month, and oh, come on. It's been, it's been great. You guys have been fantastic. So if you share the show, if you've been posting it places or posting the link to the podcast, I want to say thanks to you first. That is wonderful, um, and it's exactly what we need. And then if you have not yet done that, do it. Give it a try. So today on the show, we have, first off, liberals and public schools. Isn't it funny how often you'll hear liberals talk about busing or um, how Republicans are racist? And then if you go to these liberal enclaves, especially in huge major cities like New York or really any place where liberals have congregated and built up um, really expensive houses and et cetera, you'll see them also arguing over whether or not black people, Hispanic people, basically anybody except a minority that's Asian. So Asians can come, but nobody else is allowed to get in on their good public schools. And I disagree with this idea that black kids have to go to school alongside white kids in order to get a good education. It's more about changing the culture and the black and Hispanic community and making it more oriented towards good schools, the more and, and good culture, good education, two parent households and caring and prioritizing education than it is about getting black kids into seats next to white kids. And I know this is it's we know it's doable because other schools that are charter schools and other kinds of parochial schools have successfully educated black and Hispanic kids with no white kids present. So it's not the presence of white children. And some people would say, well, it's not the right children. It's their moms. Wherever white moms are located, the schools are better. Okay, but you're looking at the surface issue of what color the moms are instead of looking at what's going on in the buildings and what's going on in the homes where these kids are coming from. So we're going to dig into that. Also today on the show, we got to run down a few few fun things that are going on in the news. Um, Namely, the poorest 20% of Americans are richer on average than most Europeans. You've got to hear this information. It's the perfect news bite. So I'll give you little bits of information that you can take with you, stick in your toolkit. And the next time someone starts railing against how awful America is to the poor, you can whip this stuff out and have a real conversation. And then this couple who have a video business, they, they videotape weddings. Um, they have been asked on numerous occasions to videotape same-sex weddings, and they've recently just had a fantastic win um, in an appellate court saying that, you know, they can film whoever they want and they can not film if they don't want to, which is America, right? Is that not America? You film who you want. You don't film who you don't want. People go get their services from whoever wants to serve them. That's just America. The appellate court has upheld that. And then, of course... Other stuff. I have a few other things if we get to them, we get to them. Uh, if you listened to yesterday's podcast, you heard me on the DGS Think Tank. That was super fun. I'm actually going to go do that again. And I would just ask the same way that, you know, we pray for each other in this audience that you guys would keep me in prayer for upcoming decisions about like radio stuff. Um, I'm really excited about something that's coming together, but I need prayer just that the Lord would continue to move in that area and continue to bless and, um, that my husband and I would take wise counsel and be wise in our decisions, which I feel like we're, we're moving in the right direction there. But, uh, so thanks so much for being here. If you're watching on the live stream, thank you. Um, and if you are listening on the podcast, 
what up? Thank you for being here. All right, so let's get to it. First of all, why is it that we get called racist all the time? We meaning conservatives, Republicans, etc. But the ones who are always on TV complaining about black people coming to their schools, it's always liberals. Are you with me here? Do you, what I'm saying is you rarely see a suburban neighborhood with a bunch of people who are angry and protesting and, you know, getting all bent out of shape about black kids coming to their schools. So here's the story. First of all, it involves someone that we all know and has been castigated widely here on the show, Samantha B. You guys remember Samantha B. She said awful things about Ivanka Trump. And of course, she hates President Trump. She has Trump derangement syndrome. And her husband, his name is Jason Jones, and they're both white, by the way, just in case you're wondering if if her husband is black. No, he's white. Her choice, nothing wrong with that. I'm not against interracial marriage. Don't Please don't come at me with any of that stuff. I got no problem. You marry whatever person of the opposite sex you want to marry. You're, you're doing, you do you. But Samantha B and her husband actually live in the Upper West Side. Um, they're within walking distance of their neighborhood school. And it's called PS 452. It's on West 77th Street. And it's a stone's throw from the Museum of Natural History. And it is uh, a good school. In fact, it's what is known as um, a talented and gifted or, uh, you know, so basically kids who are educationally advanced go there. Now, the school is overcrowded because of gentrification. And, and again, I know a lot of people would say, um, you know, I'm against gentrification. I'm not against natural population movement. And when developers are going into neighborhoods that are really, really gutted, that have, you know, fantastic housing stock that's empty, there's some crime, and they decide, I want to revitalize this neighborhood, why would any of us be against that? Of course, increased property value means that the people who live there might get priced out of the market when it's time for their rent to be renewed, like their lease or what have you. But that's a different issue. So I'm not against gentrification. In fact, I think there should be no areas that are blighted and and gutted out. And yes, people who are on the lower end of the economic spectrum should have somewhere to live. But instead of saying all of one and none of the other, it should be basically how we treat communities. Communities can be mixed or they can be all of one kind or all of another kind. It's based on where people want to live, who they want to live next to. And I know someone out there who's listening, you might be a liberal, you might not. You might say, well, Stacey, you're just basically agreeing that people should say, I don't want black people to live in my neighborhood. Well, did I say that? Because <laughs> not all black people are poor, you racist. All right, so so the story is here, and, and this has happened all over the country, and here it is happening in New York again, and they have a persistently... um like segregated school system where all of the poor and Hispanic kids go to certain school districts, certain school buildings, they're zoned into certain buildings. And then the elite people who live there, meaning economically elite, there's no other way to say it. They're rich or they're well to do or they're upper middle class. They move into areas where they have to pay more in rent or more in mortgage payment for their property so they can get into these good schools. So they have persistently segregated schools. And the reason why the parents, I can tell you, we, we did the same thing. Me and my husband, when we were looking to move out of the city, because we used to live in the city of St. Louis, and we owned a, you know, a four family there. We lived in it and rented out uh, two of the units. And what we did was, when the kids got school age, we first sent them to a independent private school, which was, it was so expensive. And I was stay at home mom back then full time. Um, so no income from me, my husband was doing well, but certainly the tuition would have broken us financially. So we decided to move to the suburbs. And the first thing I did was I got this, there's a black book, they call it. I don't know if they still put it out. And it has all of the school districts ranked. And in the black book, it had every school district's performance test wise on the standardized testing for every racial demographic. And so I found the school district that had the best test results for black students. And we didn't want to move past Highway 270, which if you're not from our area, it's a ring that of highway that goes around the suburban area of St. Louis. The city is kind of in the middle off to the east. And then the suburbs are within that ring. And then there are suburbs on the outside of that ring. And so we wanted to stay inside of 270 because I just felt like if we move really far out, we wouldn't be able to do as many fun things with the kids. I just didn't want to live out in what I called at that time the country. So 
We found the school district with the best test scores for black kids. And then I told my husband, our kids aren't going to be in the achievement gap because I tested well as a kid. And I don't understand why this exists. Why would suburban parents who are black, who are well-educated or, or whatever, ha- why would their kids have trouble testing? So that's how we chose. Now, the way that my husband and I chose is the way that every family chooses. They either look at test scores, whether or not the school district is AAA rated. They go to maybe Newsweek or someplace like that and look at the national rankings and see which school districts in their area rank highly. Some people aren't as interested in whether or not the school district ranks as highly on the test scores. They're looking for some other thing, like do they have a talented and gifted program or do they have um, the arts? Do they have music and, you know, music that kids sing or play at every grade level, whatever the metric is, parents are looking for the best school district they can afford. So if they can't afford a house in the number one school district in their area, they'll try the number two. This is the way it's done. So it's not racial to say, I want to live in a AAA rated school district. I want my kids to go to a AAA rated school district. Now, the way it is right now in America, and this is where it's going to hurt. So if you are sensitive or easily triggered, gird your loins. The way it is right now, black people have the highest level of economic uncertainty as a demographic group and the lowest level of educational achievement. So poor schools are also in many areas of the country, especially inner cities, black schools. Fight me if I'm wrong on that. I'm not saying that because I'm a racist. I'm saying it because it's the fact. So instead of us looking at culture and saying culturally, These communities don't prioritize education. The kids are all planning on being NBA stars or NFL stars when that is 1% of our population who ever achieve at that level and less than 1% who actually work and earn a living doing those jobs. We have whole communities where everyone's going to be a baller. So they're practicing basketball or their parents aren't teaching. There's no reading going on. There's no educational attainment. I've quoted the statistic many times before, and I always have someone who emails me and says, you're such a liar or you hate black people. But the fact is, studies show that a black child will come to kindergarten having heard around 5,000 words and a white child will come to school having heard 35,000 words. Do you understand what I'm saying to you? That if you want to make sure that your kid's not in the educational achievement gap, you want to make sure your kid is going to have an absolute rock solid chance of not just graduating from high school, but graduating prepared for college or tech school, then you have to start reading to them before their school age. You're reading to them when they're two and three and four. Or as many moms that I've, many of my girlfriends, and we were included in that, they're reading to their kids. The minute they pop out, they're getting a little heavy board book with five pages in it. And you're just getting them used to the idea that you hold a book this way, you turn a book this way, um, the pages, you know, this is right side up. You're basically orienting your baby to books, not iPads or cell phones, books. You're speaking to them and singing to them from the moment they come out. You're orienting them towards verbal and auditory learning. And so... If you live in a community where the things that I just described to you are not just foreign, but unheard of concepts, of course, those kids are going to come to school less prepared, less ready to learn and at a disadvantage. And other parents who have prepared their children well are not going to want their kids to be in the same classroom as those kids I just described. So it's less about race. But you saw I titled the show, um, New York City liberals don't want poor black kids in their schools. Because we keep seeing where liberals will go into these heavily gentrified areas. They buy these really expensive properties and the properties are kind of worth it. I mean, these places are fixed up to the nines. They're, they're fantastic neighborhoods, but liberals talk the talk, but they don't want to walk the walk because if liberals really don't want poor black kids in their kids' schools, wouldn't they be for educational choice where the taxpayer dollars follow the kid? And instead of choosing the over gentrified Samantha B and Jason, Jones school, a poor parent could say, I'm reading to my kid. I want my kid to go to a good school. So I want them to go to the KIPP school that's nearby. I want to start a charter school. So parents who care can get their kids out of these failing poverty stricken schools. But we don't want to go across town to go put our kids in in schools with these well-to-do parents. They don't want us there and we don't want to be with them. And here's where the rubber meets the road. If you talk to an inner city parent who cares about their kid's education They don't want their kid in the poverty-stricken school, but they also don't want their kid bussed out to the suburbs or forced into a gentrified, well-to-do school. But 
the reason the show is titled like it is is because liberals talk all this talk about tolerance. They claim they love brown-skinned and black-skinned people. They claim to be knowing what's best for us. But when it comes time to share, they don't want to. Hypocrites. We'll be back right after this. You took the first step and quit smoking, but even former smokers may still be at risk for lung cancer. That's why SaveByTheScan.org wants you to know about a new low-dose CT scan that can detect lung cancer early. It takes only 60 seconds and could save your life. You took the first step, now take the next. Visit SaveByTheScan.org for a simple quiz to see if you're eligible and talk to your doctor about screening. SaveByTheScan.org is brought to you by the American Lung Association's Lung Force Initiative and the Ad Council. First, I hold my hands out like they're on a steering wheel. Then I look over my shoulder. One. Okay, cool guy. Two. Three times. Next. Oh, I put it in reverse. Meep, meep, meep. Then I take it up and down. Up, up, and down. And that, kiddos, is called the forklift. Dance like a dad. It's a great way to make a moment with your kids. Now that's dancing. Sure beats flossing. Visit fatherhood.gov. Brought to you by the U.S. Department of Health and Human Services and the Ad Council. Hi, everyone. Al Roker here. As a guy with his own catchphrase, I appreciate that after 75 years, Smokey's only said, Only you can prevent wildfires. But I'm filling in because there's a lot more to report. Like when it's dry or windy. Be careful burning yard waste, because wildfires can even start... In your neck of the woods. Go to SmokeyBear.com to learn more about wildfire prevention. Brought to you by the U.S. Forest Service, your state forester, and the Ad Council. Hey, everybody. Rachel Ray here. Nothing brings a bigger smile to my face than cooking up a big meal for the whole family and lots of friends. But there's not enough room at my table for the 17 million kids in our country who struggle with hunger. That's why the Feeding America nationwide network of food banks collect surplus food to give hope to hungry kids. But they can't do it without your help. Support Feeding America and your local food bank at feedingamerica.org. A message from Feeding America and the Ad Council. Woo! Let's get crazy! In movies, when someone at a party jumps into a pool fully dressed, everyone cheers them on and jumps in too. Just so you know, in real life parties, nobody jumps in after you. You just look stupid. Come on, jump in. Come on. Most party fouls are pretty dumb, but if you decide to drink and drive underage, you could lose your license and your freedom. Learn more at ultimatepartyfoul.org. Brought to you by the National Highway Traffic Safety Administration and the Ad Council. You know what really gets a party started? Indoor baseball. Yeah, just find a broom or a pool cue, and you can use, like, anything as a ball. Cans, bottles, shoes. Hey, bro. Toss me that avocado. Most party fouls are pretty dumb, but if you decide to drink and drive underage, you could lose your license and your freedom. Underage drinking and driving, the ultimate party foul. Learn more at ultimatepartyfoul.org. Brought to you by the National Highway Traffic Safety Administration and the Ad Council. Welcome back to Spacey on the Right. Hey everybody, welcome back to the show. Don't forget to follow me at StacyOnTheRight.com and StacyOnTheRight on Twitter and Instagram. And if you'd like to support this program, we would appreciate the pants off of you. Yeah, we want to uh, thank you for supporting us via Patreon. And um, you can go to Patreon.com slash StacyOnTheRight to sign up for that. Uh, so we're talking about education here, and this is a super important discussion, but I want to make it clear I actually support the right of parents to keep their school district um, within a certain district of boundaries. I support that. I support the right of parents to say, we live in this boundary and I want to send my kids to private, parochial, or, you know, uh, in, you know, independent, Christian, whatever. I support that too. I also support kids saying, or parents saying, you know, my kid is talented and gifted or my kid has um, dyslexia and the public school in our area where our taxes go does not have programming that really suits my kid's needs. Um, I need a, a program that actually gives my kid um, breaks where they can do art instead of having one art class once a week or twice a week that they can do art, uh, you know, pretty much every day. They have a session where they're allowed to stretch their creative parts and, and you know, get their creative juices flowing. My kid is that's how my kid is wired, drawing, 
um, listening to music, et cetera. I need a kind of a performing arts education for my kid. And then I support that family who has that need saying, my kid has to be allowed to take the tax dollars that I pay. And so it's not your entire tax burden because your taxes go to all kinds of different things. Check it out when you get your tax bill. But the bulk of it goes to education. You should be able to say, the kid is moving here. Now, let's say you have three kids and two kids are using public school and one is using private. Your tax dollars that go to the school would be divided into thirds and one third of it would go with the kid who's going to this, you know, performing arts or, you know, a special education school, meaning it handles other things, other needs like autism, dyslexia, et cetera. There are as many different educational needs and choices that parents have to make in their individual families as there are kids and parents and families. The idea that public schools are owed our tax dollars is part of the reason why these people are so angry that their kids who are in an overcrowded school that they don't want to leave because it's in their neighborhood are going to have to now walk 16 blocks because they're in New York and catching a taxi cab to school is impossible. Walk 16 blocks and add a whole lot of time and energy to their commute so that they can go to this other school building, which coincidentally is in the adjacent to a few buildings that are projects. And that building also has a very high population. Almost 100% of the kids who go there are on free and reduced lunch. So am I saying it's racist to not want to have your kids go to school with those kids? Actually, I'm not. I'm mocking liberals with the title of today's show because it looks kind of racist, doesn't it? But the fact is, every parent has a right to say, you know, we chose this neighborhood because it's adjacent to this school. We want our kids to go to this school. We also paid this amount for this house so our kids could go to this school. Our tax dollars should follow that. Let's say like here in our, our kids' school district where none of them go, by the way, but my taxes still go there. Me and my husband pay taxes into a school district our kids don't go to. They've never attended that school district. Um, these This school district actually has a really close relationship with Planned Parenthood. So let's say our kids were going there. And I realize that there's this Planned Parenthood connection and I, you know, work through the school district, which I've done before, uh, maybe even get on school board and I, I just can't make any changes. I can't disconnect the tube of garbage, the garbage chute from Planned Parenthood into the district. So I take my kids out. If the taxes followed the kid, guess what would happen? Those administrators would say, wait a minute, we've lost 300 kids this year and that's, uh, you know, that's... $300,000 because $10,000 a kid, you know, three, $3 million we're losing in funding. Uh, what we need to do is we need to figure out why they're leaving. Their exit, all of their exit interviews say Planned Parenthood. Maybe we need to rethink this relationship. We can still do sex ed. We just don't need to do it with Planned Parenthood. We, we need to find out what's going on. with it. But as it is now, families leave. People get elected to school board to make changes. They don't have to do anything because they're not accountable to you because guess what? They've got your money. And that's the worst possible relationship to have with anyone, whether it's a business supplier or a politician or anybody else. Do you you see what I'm saying here? So not only is it not racist to want your kids to go to the school that you chose for them that you're paying for and not to be bussed off someplace else or forced to go someplace else because, you know, liberalism or, you know, improper taxation, but it is also absolutely right for parents to have accountability for their tax dollars. And that's what we don't have right now. And so the larger conversation here, liberals, the, the article that's linked at listen.staceyontheright.com is actually one that goes to Slate Magazine, where this author is, the title of the show is The Upper West Side is the Latest Battleground for School Integration in New York. It's the latest battleground, but really the battleground is anywhere where Americans pay taxes into a taxing district, taxing authority, school district is what it really is, and they don't have any accountability for their money. Now, across the country, there are individual taxing authorities that have been created by people in municipalities. I think of one right now, this little place is called Anchorage, Louisiana, and they have, it's a historic town with a bunch of really big historic old homes and then a bunch of smaller kind of, they look like your typical suburban homes, ranches and two stories that kind of ring the bigger inner houses, like a kind of inner town houses. And then right next to them, adjacent to them are all these suburban low slung ranches, two stories, bungalows, et cetera. And what they did was they didn't want to take part in uh, the school choice initiatives launched in 
in uh, Kentucky, in Louisville. And so what they did was they basically said, we're creating our own taxing district and the only school that these taxes will go to is our K through eight building. It's actually a Spanish style white with red tile roof K through eight building that's inside of this place, Anchorage, Kentucky. And if you live within the boundaries, your taxes, your education taxes go to that school and your kids have a right to go there. And if you live outside, you can't get into that school. You can't pay to get into it. You have to live inside the district. And that's the way they took care of their need for a neighborhood school. And so I recommend that to a lot of different places. I've, I've even said when I was on school board, maybe, you know, consider that if you don't like what the city of St. Louis, the state of Missouri, St. Louis County is doing with educational choice here in the state. Because we also had some students who were bused into Ladue and they were, you know, great kids. But the parents who lived in Ladue didn't want the busing because the kids who were coming in were bringing the money that came from their school district, the amount was being paid for them to go there, didn't cover the cost of their education in that school district. So there was a deficit for each of these kids. So it wasn't about them being black. It was about the fact that they weren't paying the same amount as the taxpayers in the district. So this is a complex issue. But I'll tell you what, it's less about race than it is about the fact that everything with education leads back to funding Everything from the liberal side says we don't have enough funding, when in reality, we have an overabundance of funding because most public school districts receive 100% of the tax dollars from everyone whose actual home or business lives in that, it resides in that district, but they don't educate all of the kids. Up to 40, often 60% of the kids in any giving taxing authority will be, and if it's suburban, will be going someplace else. So they're getting all of the tax dollars. They also get the tax dollars from the families that don't have any kids, from the retired families. You know, you're retired or your kids have all left home. You're a young family. You don't have any kids in the district. You're paying into the taxing authority. You see what I'm saying? So they get 100% of the money and they're constantly asking for tax increases on top of what they've already gotten. And the reason they're able to constantly get the tax increases is because families will say, well, we live here. We want our property taxes we want our value, our property value to be as high as possible. We want to maintain the public school district because it's directly connected to the value of our home. And because, you know, it's for kids and it's for education and we should support that. I say support it, but they should be held accountable for the money that they're getting from every single taxpayer in the district. And when they do stupid things like, you know, partner up with Planned Parenthood, they should also experience the repercussions of families leaving because the tax dollars go with the families to wherever the child goes. So that's that's my take on this. And this is a story that happened. It just keeps happening. I'll give you a few statistics from here. Um, so it says in the story, this, and it's about PS 452, where Samantha B's kids go. It has a lopsided enrollment with a population that's three quarters white and Asian. Only 13% of the kids at PS 452 qualify for free lunch. And the district itself is 43% white and Asian and 48% low income. So the low income kids are going somewhere else, aren't they? Only 13% of the kids are low income, but 48% of the people who live in the area where the school is located are low income. Now, PS 452 actually opened back in 2010 to relieve overcrowding at other nearby sought after schools. It quickly became overcrowded itself. And that's why the city is proposing to move 452, which currently shares a building with two other schools, 16 blocks south to a site with more space that just happens to be adjacent to two large housing projects. It would solve the, the school's capacity problem and improve its diversity, quote unquote, which is mentioned throughout this story, how improving diversity improves education, but they don't supply any kind of statistics that show that. And so, you know, full disclosure, I've been on a diversity committee before, but our committee wasn't about diversity. It was about improving test scores for black kids in suburban districts. And there were some other parents on there who were interested in doing like diversity initiative stuff and all of us black moms always smack them down because we were there for the education. We paid the taxes there for the education. We got up early and brought our kids into school before school started so they could play on the playground and make friends and be a part of a community for the education. We were there for the master's degree teachers, the excellent facilities, the advanced 
educational opportunities that were present in that building. We were not there to increase diversity because it's irrelevant what the color of the skin is of the person who's getting educated next to you. What is relevant is whether the person sitting next to you can actually keep up with the class so that the class moves along at a clip that will keep the kids engaged. But that's not what we have going on. If your kid is prepared and my kid is unprepared, that means the teacher has to slow down and go over again and again with my kid to get them up to where they need to be. And this can happen. So I'm not against teachers. Um, you know, every kid is needs their needs need to be addressed. But the idea that you can take kids who have basically a level of preparation that is light years different than the other kids that you're and just throw them all together because diversity is most important ignores how teaching in a classroom actually occurs and what benefits students. Because if you keep the class moving along at a fast clip to accommodate the gifted students, then the kids who aren't gifted will be left behind. Do we want that? No, we don't. So I'm, I'm not advocating that only gifted kids should be in a classroom together, that kids that are different ability levels can't mix at all. But I am saying if we're going to take the taxes from the people, we should address the needs of their kids. So, you know, it, there has to be a better solution than this. And just to kind of bolster my position here, many, many black thought leaders are opposed to busing because it does not address the problem. If it did, we wouldn't have so much education uh, inequity we just wouldn't have it because it would have already been taken care of because remember, we used to be a nation of busing. We used to just bus black kids all over the place an hour, hour and a half on the bus each way just so they could go to a district that was not all black. And some kids benefited from it because they just gritted their teeth and gutted it out. And a lot of kids just, you know, it, it was an emotionally scarring experience as well as not being educationally beneficial for them. So... One of the things about this story that stuck out to me before we move on is that one of the parents was speaking out against the move. Former Daily Show correspondent Jason Jones, married to Samantha B. Here's his quote. To portray any opposition as classist or racist is as bad as it can get. We are not divided. And we are absolutely united in wanting what's best for our children. Well, as much as I hate to say that Samantha's B, Samantha B's husband might have said something that was intelligent and made a lot of sense, the fact is every parent feels that way. Every parent feels that, number one, they have the right to make choices about their kid's education. Number two, that the choices that they're making shouldn't be automatically questioned based upon whether or not the person making the decision is white or Asian or black or Hispanic. And that as a taxpayer, they should have some control over how things happen at the building that they're paying the taxes for their kid to go to. He's right. I can't believe I just said it because he's married to Samantha B and they're both hardcore liberals, but he's right. And the answer, which he would never agree to, he and Samantha B would never agree that the taxpayer dollars should follow the child because they would first think, wait a minute, that sounds pretty good. And then they think, wait, are you talking about school choice? And then their liberal groupthink would kick in and they'd say, no, I'm sorry, I can't support that because obviously you're some kind of conservative and you hate black people. Meanwhile, Jason, husband to Samantha B, hardcore liberal, and she's supposed to love all blacks, is advocating that their kids don't mix in with these poor black people and these poor Hispanics. So probably isn't about race, but it sure looks that way. And that's the tactic they use on us all the time. Any decision that a person on the right makes has to be about race because we're all racist. How about if it's just about the fact that liberals have advocated for and won the right to make public schools in America unworkable because the tax dollars can't follow the child and because any school choice initiative, no matter what it is, has to be opposed because it comes from conservatives instead of saying what's right for kids, what's right for this group of kids in this area, let's have choice so that people have to compete so that the educational product improves so we can keep parents and kids on an educational path that benefits not just our whole society and America at large, but these individual people. I hear a lot of talk from liberals about how, well, this will improve the lives of Americans or this will right the wrongs. You don't right wrongs by punishing people who haven't done anything, who've never done anything wrong. They're just there. But your policies are destroying them, their neighborhoods and their prospects. That's not how you improve the lives of any group. And notice 
out of all of the conversation that we've just had, not one of the policies that the liberals are putting forward, especially as it pertains to education, actually has pulled one black kid out of poverty or improved the life of one black family or Hispanic family for that matter, because they don't know how to do it. All right. Last segment. When we get back, stay there. my handle and here is my spell. No, Dad, like this. When I get all steamed up, then I shout, tip me over and pour me out. <laughs> this is WWE superstar Roman Reigns. It only takes a moment to make a moment. Take time to be a dad today. Visit fatherhood.gov, brought to you by the U.S. Department of Health and Human Services and the Ad Council. One in three adults has prediabetes. One in three. That means it could be you, your football buddy, your football buddy, or you, your best man, your worst man, you, your dog walker, your cat jogger. While one in three adults has prediabetes, with early diagnosis, prediabetes can be reversed. Take the risk test at doihaveprediabetes.org. Brought to you by the Ad Council and its prediabetes awareness partners. Wake up and text. Text and eat. Mm-mm. Text and meet up with a friend you haven't seen in forever. Hi. Oh, hey. Text and complain that they're on their phone the whole time. <sighs> Text and listen to them complain that you're on your phone the whole time. Uh. Text and whatever. But when you get behind the wheel, give your phone to a passenger. Put it in the glove box. Just don't text and drive. Visit StopTextsStopRex.org. A message from NHTSA and the Ad Council. Okay, kids, Dad's going to teach you how to dance. First, spread your feet apart. Then, a pump your knee, a nod your head, shake your hips, and bite your lip ever so slightly. Now, with one hand in the air, point at people with the other hand. I call that the rock star. Dance like a dad. It's a great way to make a moment with your kids. Now, make a face like it just smells something bad. Visit fatherhood.gov. Brought to you by the U.S. Department of Health and Human Services and the Ad Council. Is that a faucet running? That's not a faucet. That's a river rushing through the forest. Forest rivers provide over 100 million people with clean water to drink. What? I can't hear you because of the vacuum. That's not a vacuum. That's the trees in the forest cleaning up the air we breathe. I didn't know the trees were so amazing. Yep, and the forest gives us shade, trees to climb. That's awesome. Let's go explore some more. Visit the forest today and enjoy all it does just for you. To learn more about the forest and find one near you, go to discovertheforest.com. Org, brought to you by the U.S. Forest Service and the Ad Council. Jill, why didn't you tell the class what you did this weekend? Well, my dad and I went in search of some magical minnows and found a zillion of them in the stream from our lookout rock. Then my sister and I escaped from an evil slug king and went back to my super twig fort for safety. Then we told stories till it got dark and the Big Dipper led us all the way home. Where were you, Jill? We went to the forest. It's not that far away. Ask your parents to take you and your friends to the forest this week. It's closer than you think. Check out discovertheforest.org. Brought to you by the U.S. Forest Service and the Ad Council. Welcome back to Spacey on the Right. Hey, everybody. Check out the chat room over at StaceyOnTheRight.com. That's where lots of fun conversation going on over there. Mimi, Tracy, Chi, Cacti, uh, Smoke, <laughs> all over there chatting and kind of keeping the chat room rolling um, with uh, what we're discussing here. Um, so I wanted to get to this other story, which it, it kind of dovetails in nicely because it's about misinformation. Um, and this is coming from JustFacts.com. Uh, this piece is entitled, so they do these studies. It says it's a resource for independent thinkers. And they're talking about the poorest 20% of Americans being richer on average than most nations of Europe. And this goes back to, uh, sometimes I call it, do you love it or leave it? You know, love the one who brought you, dance with the one who brought you. The, you know, all the different sayings amounting to, if you don't think America is that hot, instead of just moving outright, get yourself a visa to go uh, live overseas for 90 days. And see what it's like to live in England or Great, or England is Great Britain or, uh, you know, Germany or Spain. These are beautiful countries that, and I've been to them and I'm 
I, I, I would actually love to go to one of those countries right now. Like if I could be on a plane next Monday, I probably would not say no to that. I would take that up like, immediately. I would go. Um, but to live there as one of their citizens, not with the rights and privileges of an expat American who's just choosing to be there for whatever time frame. I'm talking about going over and living as they do. They have less square footage than we have. They have less access to what we consider to be just normal stuff that everybody has, like air conditioning and cable and et cetera. And their tax burdens are through the roof. So let's get into this. Um, it's a groundbreaking study by Just Facts that discovered that after accounting for all income, charity, and non-cash welfare benefits like subsidized housing and food stamps, the poorest 20% of Americans consume more goods and services than the national averages for all people in most affluent countries. So we're talking about all of the affluent countries. So all of our trading partners, all of our allies, Americans get more stuff, consume more stuff, own more stuff, have access to more stuff. This includes the majority of countries in the prestigious Organization for Economic Cooperation and Development, OECD, including all of the European members. So when you hear people talking about the French live better than we do, well, they have a certain joy de vivre. That is maybe different than what we have, but they certainly don't live better than we do. They do have those beautiful structures. They have the Louvre and all that stuff, but they don't have a better lifestyle than we do when it comes to like the stuff that's normal for them. And there's also a piece at the Heritage Foundation that we kind of touched on uh, a couple years ago on the show, I actually read off all the different things like comparisons of how much square footage Americans have, how much land we have access to, as, you know, you're living on a lot size of a third of an acre or a quarter of an acre, whatever. So um, I want to get down to this part. So there's a video op-ed that came out in the New York Times on July the 1st that says we need a more truthful approach to the myth that America is the greatest nation on earth. Typical, right? Just definitely tear down your own country. Um, these people are idiots. They claim Tage Jensen and Naima Raza, both of whom should be forced to go live in the countries that they immigrated from or their parents immigrated from, but that's another story. Um, they claim that the U.S. has fallen well behind Europe in many respects and is more in common with developing countries than we'd like to admit. They say the good test of this is how the U.S. ranks in the OECD, which is a group of 36 countries, predominantly wealthy, Western and democratic. Now, while examining these rankings, they corrupt the truth in ways that violate the Times op-ed standards, which declare that you can have any opinion you like, but the facts in a piece must be supported and validated. And you can't say that a certain battle began on a certain day if it did not. A prime example is their claim that America is the richest country in the OECD, but we're also the poorest with an, a whopping 18% poverty rate closer to Mexico than Western Europe. Now, I wonder why that is. Why would America have such an astronomical poverty rate? Is it because we have such huge percentages of people from third world countries living in America trying to live here without assimilating? Oh, but, you know, saying stuff like that just gets you, basically, people get mad at you. Um, so the question asked by justfacts.com is poor compared to who? And the answer to that is in the numbers. So the rates measuring relative poverty within nations are actually, um, Glaring evidence. So you got the Times' rhetoric, but there's a note above the OECD's data for poverty rates, and it explains that the OECD actually measures relative poverty within nations, not from nation A to nation B. The figures represent portions of people with less than half the median household income in their own nation, and thus two countries with the same poverty rate may differ in terms of the relative income level of the poor. Because According to the OECD, which is actually this is a, something that statisticians often will do, it is not actually logical to compare poor people from one nation to poor people of another nation without first comparing them to, let's say, poor people in Missouri, poor people in California, poor people in Texas, poor people in New York, etc. So that's what they do. The upshot is laid bare by the fact that the OECD measure assigns a higher poverty rate to the U.S., than to Mexico. 
U.S.'s poverty rate is 17.8%. Mexico's is 16.6%. But World Bank data shows that 35% of Mexico's population lives on less than $5.50 per day. Only 2% of people in America live on less than $5.50 per day. Hence the migration patterns. Because if Mexico's poverty rate was truly lower than the United States, you would see mass migration from America to Mexico. Poor people from here would move there. Right? (laughs) Yes. That's why I love me a good chart and some data. Because it proves you can lie all you want to, but the data will find you out. So, the same point applies to broader discussions about poverty, which can be measured in two very different ways. One way of measuring it is relative poverty. A second way of measuring it is absolute poverty. Relative measures of poverty can be misleading if the presenter does not answer the question, poor compared to who? So, poor people compared to other poor people in America or poor people in America compared to poor people in Mexico, etc. Which is why, again, using the, the Mexican migration rate and, and even south of, of Mexico, El Salvador, Honduras, etc. Those people come to America and even if they're poor here, they're 50 times wealthier than they were in their own country. Because every poor person in America, save the 2%, 2% of poor people who live on less than 550 a day, most poor Americans live on far more than that per day. So absolute measures like the number of people with income below a certain level are more straightforward, more enlightening, and thus make more sense when you're looking at poverty rates and poverty levels. Now, to accurately compare living standards across or within countries, you have to account for all major aspects of material welfare, and none of the data that the New York Times used does this. So You can look at income, but income, strictly income, excludes a host of non-cash government benefits and private charity that are abundant in the United States, which can include health care provided by Medicaid, free clinics, and the Children's Health Insurance Program, CHIP. Nourishment provided by food stamps, school lunches, school breakfasts, soup kitchens, food pantries, and the Women's, Infants, and Children's Program, otherwise known as WIC. Housing and amenities provided through rent subsidies, utility assistance, and homeless shelters. The World Bank data includes those items, but is still incomplete because it's based on government household surveys and U.S. low-income households greatly underreport both their income and non-cash benefits in surveys like that. So what we need to do is to look at what actually um, is consumed. So they have a chart here, the average consumption per person in OECD nations from 2010, and the United States leads with average consumption per person in the United States being almost $35,000 per person. The lowest 20% of U.S. households, so those living in poverty, are consuming about $22,000 a year per person in consumption, in goods, consumption of goods which puts the lowest 20% of Americans ahead of Canada, Greece, the United Kingdom, Sweden, Australia, Spain, Portugal, Japan, Denmark, Iceland, New Zealand, Slovenia, Slovak Republic, Israel, Korea Republic, Czech Republic, Estonia, Poland, Chile, Hungary, Turkey, and at the very bottom, at just under $10,000 of goods consumed per person, Mexico. So their poverty rate is lower than ours. But they're poor, I'm sorry, not they're poor, their average person consumes less than half of the goods and services as a poor American. Remember, the poor American is consuming 22000 The average everyday median Mexican citizen is consuming around 9000 a year. Not a month, a year. Can you even imagine And so I don't assume that everybody who's in this audience is like in the top 1% or 10%. I'm sure we have a wide economic, uh, you know, representation here. But can you imagine over the course of an entire year consuming less than $1,000 worth of goods and services per month? Probably not. So the high consumption of America's poor doesn't mean that they live better than average people in the nations they outpace. 
like Spain, Denmark, Japan, Greece, and New Zealand. This is because people's quality of life also depends on their communities and personal choices, like the local politicians they elect, the violent crimes they commit, the spending decisions that they make. But the fact is, purchasing power in the U.S. is pretty amazing. Relating to tangible realities like square feet of living area, foods, smartphones. So am I saying that it's better to be poor than to live in Spain as a like a middle class person or, you know, working class person? I think that depends on how a poor person in the United States is living. It's not like there aren't any happy poor people in America or happy poor people in Spain. That that just being poor in and of itself doesn't mean that your life is a total, you know, failure that that you're not happy. But this story goes back to the media malpractice that is ever present from our major news media organizations like the New York Times in which they try to convince, maybe not you and me, because all of us, you know, we we got kids going to college over here. Um, you Maybe your kids are grammar school age or what have you. You've already got your worldview set, but they're teaching this garbage to the kids. They're printing out these New York Times op-eds and assigning them to our grammar schoolers and our, our, our middle schoolers and even high schoolers and teaching them that America, we say we're so great, but look at all the poor people we have. Look how awful it is for the poor people in our country. Why aren't things better for the poor people in our country? You should vote for people who want to give more taxpayer dollars to the poor. You should vote for people who want to take money from rich people and give it to the poor. Do you see how this piece, which is completely false, is being utilized to indoctrinate and brainwash our children into thinking that, you know, I really would be better off if I was a European. Well, would you? Because um, you, you don't have the right to own a gun if you're a European. You don't have the right to religious freedom if you're a European. You can't get that customized iced or hot maca, uh, matcha latte. I'm mispronouncing it. Um, or whatever it is that you like custom. You're custom everything. You can't get that. Those are uniquely American types of things. You, you can't say, I'm going to pull, like in Germany, you can't just pull your kid out of school because you don't like what they're teaching and homeschool them. Over and over again, Germans have tried to come to the United States and get uh, religious visas to stay in the United States so they can educate their kids because they don't want what the school districts in Germany are teaching kids about Islam or um, about religion. They don't want their kids taught that. And they are being told over and over again, Germany's like, you can't just leave. You got, you, you can bring them kids back here so we can educate them the way we want to. You don't have rights. You're just their parent. Well, those kids are belong to us. <laughs> Our jobs are tough, parents, but we can do it. We can do all things through Christ who strengthens us. And so be encouraged and be back here tomorrow. All right. Righteously American. Stacey on the right.